Welcome to Chasing Hermes, the pursuit of Mercury, with your hosts, Sean and Jason. Welcome, dear listeners, once again to another exciting episode of Chasing Hermes. I'm your host, Jason, and as usual, I'm joined with my fellow co-host, Sean. How have you been, Sean? You know, I've been uh, I've been really good. I've been really inspired by a lot of the listener email we've been receiving lately, and in particular, uh, it seems we've we've been getting a lot of email uh, regarding the episode that we did on astral projection. It seems to be a hot topic these days. It's definitely the show that we have had the most feedback on from our listeners, and we thought that we would go through some of the emails that we have received about lucid dreaming and astral projection and use that as a starting point for a further deeper discussion about this topic so yeah we'll try to answer some of the things that came up and and clarify some of the things that maybe we didn't enter into too deeply in the previous episode there's only so much you can cover in one half hour so (laughs) yeah right so so we'll take some time and do that here all right let's get right into it shall we yeah yeah okay well um We had a a response from our listener, Effie. Hey, Effie. Thanks for listening. Hey, Effie. And Effie says, I meditate now and then, and I have had strange sensory experiences. One of them was of my body being made up of balls violently vibrating together. And that noise you described in the podcast, I nearly fell off my couch when you described it. I had no idea at the time what it meant or what the possibilities might be. Should it happen again, I will definitely try and take a walk. Uh, You want to repeat Uh that sound that you made? (laughs) I'll try. Something like this. Something like that. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That was to illustrate uh, in the original episode the sound that you hear when you enter sleep paralysis. Another listener, W.E., says, I have had those paralyses. I've had them since my teens. Uh, it can be quite scary. I used to attribute them to the naughty doings of fairies. But last week I had another one. It was as if I was pestered by a ghost. This time, though, I used my constant prayer spontaneously, and it unlocked me, and I woke up immediately, very surprised and also comforted. Hmm. So the sleep paralysis, what is it? It's really interesting that most people have heard of sleep paralysis at some time. I know that there is a study done not too long ago that suggested that nearly everyone will have one or two episodes of sleep paralysis in their lifetime. So it's not that uncommon of an experience, although for most people it's not something they'll experience on a regular basis. But to those who are seeking a springboard from which to trigger their astral projections or out-of-body experiences or lucid dreams, the sleep paralysis becomes a very important key. Uh, it's, It's as a gateway. So One of the reasons why sleep paralysis is such a hot topic is because when you're in the middle of sleep paralysis, it can be very terrifying, especially if you have no idea what's going on. It's similar to a lot of the alien extraterrestrial abduction stories you hear where people wake up and they're unable to move and then they have the sensation of floating in their bed. Have have you heard of these, Jason? I used to read all those stories as a kid and I always wanted it to happen to me. Not the <laughs> not the anal probe part, that that part I can skip, but I always wanted to meet right, yeah. extraterrestrials. <laughs> I don't think you have a choice at that at that point. You got to take the take the bad with the good, I guess. I never but, understood. Um, I never understood why if aliens would visit Earth, why they would be interested in date <laughs> raping people. I just don't get it. But uh, eh, to each his own, I suppose. 
Hey, to each his own. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so that would be a very terrifying experience. And to those of us who, who may have this experience and not know what exactly is going on, it can be just as terrifying because it's a very claustrophobic feeling. It's, it, it's a deep sense of imprisonment because the harder you try to move, the more painful it becomes almost. Although it's not a physical pain, it's just more of a torment of being caged and ensnared. But what's important to understand is that in this state of sleep paralysis, it really is that state where your body is physically paralyzed, or seemingly so, but the mind is awake. And the part of the mind that is awake has been disconnected from the motor activity of the brain. So that connection which normally allows you to just send a signal of willpower to say your your legs or your arms to move them has been disconnected i can just imagine when when somebody has this for the first time this experience that yeah it's very startling if you've never thought about the fact that when you decide to move your finger or your arm or or your feet um that it is not you that moves it's actually you, the reasoning mind, which sends out an electrical impulse to your body to move, and that there is an entire chain of, of cause and effect that results in your body moving. And when that is severed, mm-hmm. when that is disconnected, um, but with you actually being fully awake, I can only imagine how unsettling and startling that must be for somebody for the first time. So I can very much understand this this feeling of imprisonment that somebody might have. And and one of the things that also makes it that much worse, as one of our listeners described, is oftentimes when you're in this state, you also have that dark presence, what many people call the dweller on the threshold phenomenon which can be that feeling of a dark, ominous presence around you, almost as a presence of evil. And so not only are you completely frozen in a state of paralysis, but you also have the, the deep sense of presence around you, uh, of, of darkness or evil of, or of fear. Now, physiologically, uh, this has actually been mapped to parts of the brain, there's a part of the brain that is called the amygdala. And the amygdala is part of the primitive areas of the brain, the, the reptilian areas of the brain. Amygdala is, is sometimes referred to as the fear center of the brain. Is that correct? That's right. It's the fear center. It's the fight or flight controller. And, you know, it's the part of our of our brain that is basically to trigger instinctual feelings to either get the heck out of the way or, you know, get, get, get your fight on. Right. And uh, and so what happens is in these states, that part of your brain is overactive in the, the fear mechanism. And so it just sends a, a deep sense of, of torment and terror uh, throughout you. And again, making this experience that much worse. Now, our listener, um, Corin writes in and asks us specifically what we think causes sleep paralysis. Yeah, th- there's several theories um, going around. And really, I think ultimately, no one really knows the the one true answer. However, I think the one that makes the most sense to me uh, was the one described by a, a really great source of, of all these things dealing with lucid dreaming and astral projection. It's, it's one of my favorite um, 
scientific perspectives, if you will. It's a very analytical and logical. And you can find uh, you know more information on this at uh, at his website, lucidology.com. We'll put a link on the website. Yeah, we'll put a link out. Uh, the way that he describes it is that as you sleep and as you enter into REM sleep, there is a mechanism in the brain that releases certain chemicals that produces that division between the active mind and the part of the brain that controls all of your movements in the body. And the reason why this connection is severed during REM sleep is because this is the part of sleep where you are most active in your dreams. And so if your mind was still connected to the motor activity of your body, then if you were dreaming that you were running, you would physically start trying to run. Your legs would move. It's like watching a dog sleep. and you know, Right, exactly. They're kicking around a little bit. Yeah, you see their legs you know, moving. And, and a lot of times, if that were to continue, you would just wake yourself up. So it's almost like a protection mechanism to, to maintain rest and sleep while you can continually dream. Uh, the problem arises when after this chemical has already been released in your brain... And, or after this connection has already been severed, but then you become lucid, or in other words, the active part of your mind becomes conscious, and now you're aware, aware that you're lying in your bed. Uh, however, the connection has still been severed and you're unable to move. So that's basically what sleep paralysis is, that you're, there's a part of your brain that controls motor function and, and handles basically the messages from your brain to make your body move and that part has basically been put offline whereas sure right whereas your your reasoning mind is still active yeah so there's like a it's there's, it's almost like the computer in your mind has a shutdown sequence yeah um, but that's that sequence gets out of sync mm -hmm. with the way it should normally run yeah, you know, if there's any neurologists uh, listening to the show, they're probably uh, welcome to write in. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to write in. They're they're probably furious with the oversimplification, but uh, I think that that is a, a good enough explanation, I believe, for trying to understand what's going on in the state of sleep paralysis. Um, but what's valuable to us, the lucid dreamer or the astral projector and those of us who, who seek the mystical experiences that can be awakened through the practice of the controlled out-of-body experience is that these moments of sleep paralysis become the holy grail in guaranteeing a, a full-body separation because the normal challenge for an individual trying to leave their body and separate their consciousness from it is to relax the body deep enough so that they can transport their seat of awareness without immediately snapping back to the awareness of the physical body. So it's from this state of paralysis that the mind can be completely disassociated because the body is already as perfectly relaxed as you can get. And it's almost like your waking mind becomes super awake. It reaches a state of, of super clarity. And that's an important aspect is the, the deep sense of, you know, lucidity. So I don't think we really describe lucidity in the state of, of what it truly is beyond just 
the concept of lucid dreams. I mean, lucidity is a hyper sense of self-awareness, a hyper sense of consciousness where you are deeply aware um, of your surroundings, deeply aware of your existence, deeply aware of your senses in your body. And it's almost as though it contains with it a, a light degree of that metacognition we described in earlier podcasts, which is the ability to have thoughts about your thoughts. Mm, See, yeah. the in the, these states of hyperlucidity, right, you're having thoughts about who you are, where you are, and all the experiences. And that's what allows you to have a lucid dream because one of the thoughts that you're having is, I'm having a dream. So you're able to question your sensations, you're questioning your environment, you're questioning all this perception so that you can behave accordingly in it rather than just automatically respond to everything that's going around you. And you're fully in the now. You're fully focused on what's going on in this very moment. Oh, it's yeah, like, that's true. It's like, um, I don't know. I mean, I've never been in a car crash or anything like that, but it's just, it's just so... It's 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 so hyper real. I, I don't know what other words I could use to describe it, but it's almost like everything seems extremely significant. I like how you put it that it's it's a state of being in the now. I mean, so much of our day is spent worrying about what we're going to do tomorrow or reliving you know the memories of the past. But the the state of lucidity is when you can live in the moment and truly be aware of who you are in that moment. And in order to become lucid in a dream or in order to separate your consciousness from your body and maintain that separation, you already have to have been able to achieve that state of lucidity. I think this state of, of being in the now is very closely related to something that has been very popular in the media the past couple of years, and that's this idea of mindfulness. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, mindful awakening or mindful being or mindful eating or, or you know this idea that you can be completely focused on who you are at this very moment right yeah and that there are several techniques in order to reach that state most of which involve focusing on your physical body and just taking in all the unfiltered impulses of your body and and the signals that your your stomach or your legs or your skin or um, any part of your body are constantly feeding you but that we're not normally aware of and that unawareness essentially helps keep us in a state of, of unawareness but through meditation and through exercises that help you focus on the body you can become more in the now focusing on your breathing and focusing on on your thoughts and that sort of thing Right. It, it it ultimately comes down to, to self-mastery, self-control, you know, the ability yeah. to control your body, control your mind, control your emotions and desires. And I have found that those who struggle the most with astral projection are the types of people who are continually worrying or they're fearful people. And the problem is that they spend so much of their day living in the future or the past, worrying or, or being fearful, that it almost becomes a foreign concept to focus completely on the now. Um, fear is the mind killer. Fear is the mind killer. So, okay, so we, we've sort of beaten this dead horse uh, to a pulp, but it is an important concept, and it is one of those stumbling blocks that will 
be the first preventative for for anybody aspiring to 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 leave the body or, or or maintain lucid dreams so one thing we didn't really talk about so much last time we covered this subject was what you can actually do with these dreams we had one listener write in dylan hi dylan hey dylan Dylan is writing on a novel, and he came up with a main character for this book. Uh, and in one of his dreams, he actually encountered this character and was able to interact with him in a, in a very mystical way. And th- I think this, this character, the way Dylan describes him, um, this character has, uh, you know, very mystical qualities of being a teacher and being a, um, a guide on a mystical path Mm -hmm. and so he was wondering if how far you can take this experience i mean how valid can it be if you meet characters that you know that you yourself have dreamt up so to speak i find this really fascinating because there's so many angles from which to look at this situation and and it really it describes the richness and the vastness of human creativity definitely because it reminds me a lot of the ancient concept of the muse. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. right? Because the muse was the goddess or god. Was it a god or a goddess? Well, I think often it was a goddess, uh, okay. to the, at least to the, the, the men who wrote about it. Sure, that, that, that's what I recalled. And so there, this goddess, the muse, was the inspiration for songs and literature and plays and you know all of human creativity. And, you know, later some would just suggest that, okay, well, this was, you know, the externalization of internal processes of the human mind. But at the same time, there are many uh, more ancient practices of contacting angels and spirits for purposes of creativity. I know that... and, And your own personal guardian angel and that type of being exactly and there is um i know one story uh in arabic literature where the arabic magicians would summon forth spirits and these spirits were the forces that they communed with in order to write down stories and to uncover new poetry and and songs and and things of that nature wow talk about being inspired huh (laughs) right inspired so in some degrees, it's very fascinating that, you know, we can first have created this character prior to our encounter with it. Right. But Dylan, I would definitely have to say that not only do I think that this is possible, but it's also evidence for the hermetic principles of the microcosm and the macrocosm that we described in that podcast. And to relate it here, the idea is that the human microcosm, which means the little universe, is a reflection of the macrocosm or the big universe outside of us. And if you look outside of us, there are, what, like 7 billion human beings on this planet, nearly. There are all kinds of animals and tons of life to be had. But there's also trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars. And for everything that is out there, outside of us, every human you can encounter, there must be a reflection of that inside of us. So say the Hermetists in the concept of the microcosm versus the macrocosm. So in reality, 
within us, within our minds, within our hearts, lies that deep sense of richness which necessitates, if you will, that there are these inspirations within us, these characters that all of us could create. And there's no reason why, even if you're not a writer, you couldn't create a teacher character, so to speak. You know, maybe that's why a lot of children, when they're younger, you know, lots of kids have imaginary friends, but maybe these imaginary friends are sort of characters deep within the microcosm of these children that they're using in order to inspire their own creativity. You said that the microcosm reflects the macrocosm, but let's not forget that as below, so above as well, right? That's correct. Yeah, never forget that, kids. Uh, um, so that is to say in this context that the macrocosm reflects itself in your microcosm as well. So what you bind here on Earth... Uh, <laughs> now say it. Do no, it. Now say it. <laughs> what you bind here on Earth will also be bound in Heaven, to paraphrase Master Jesus. Um completely out of context i must say but uh, <laughs> what he wasn't talking is, about dream characters and uh, uh, well i'm sure there have been some, some people who have construed <laughs> that but um what i'm trying to say is that the characters that we create for ourselves can become vessels or vehicles for something outside of us absolutely you know uh, i don't want to partake in the spreading of schizophrenia in any way but you know there really is no way to know that these inspiring dream characters or these characters that we create for purposes of of writing a novel or or alter egos that we use while performing songs there's no way to know that these aren't reflections of consciousness or minds outside of our own seat of awareness and what's more is in my personal interpretation of some of the mysteries the interface, the, the sort of drum skin where our microcosm touches the macrocosm really is our imagination. That is the shadow theater where all of this takes place. And it really is an interaction between the outside and the inside. Wow. Very well said. I like that. Very yeah. inspiring. Put that on your blog and tweet it. <laughs> Of course, as I said, there are so many angles from which to look at this. I mean, there's another angle that's a little more uh, sci-fi, which, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge sci-fi guy, but, uh, but this is kind of fun. And that's the idea that uh, for every possible way things can be, there's a universe outside of us where it is so, right? This is the concept of the multiverse or the possible world's uh, analysis. And Right, right. And in, the, in this idea of the multiverse, right, if you can dream up a character and, you know, you give this character a history and motivations and uh, thoughts and speech, that is a possible way things could be for an individual. And therefore, in this view of the world, there is a possible world out there in which the character in your novel is a real living and breathing a human being in that other possible world. Um, and so, you know, these worlds are only separated by time and space. So, you know, what, what really is separating you from the possible world in which your novel character is a real person? 
Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Uh-huh. And, and no, I do not do drugs <laughs> much anymore. Well, did you know that this multiverse uh, theory has actually been used to form uh, a, a proof of the existence of God? Oh. The idea is that <clears throat> since we are capable of conceptualizing a divine creator, then that means that he must exist somewhere in one of these multiverses. In one many. of these, or many. And if we can imagine him as being absolutely omnipotent and all-encompassing, uh-huh. then he must, by definition, encompass all of the multiverses. So, sure. Ipso facto. Ipso facto, exactly. I'm not sure that satisfies many people, but it's an interesting angle on it. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. I like that. I think, you know, it's it's truly fascinating, like you say, just how rich every person's inner life is. I remember, you know, this is a random memory that just comes back as we're talking about this completely unscripted, um, that um, one time I was probably 14 or something, 15, I was just starting to become aware of all these things and, and starting to become aware of um, of my own inner richness, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I was driving in the car with my mom and I was just looking at all the people on the streets and on the sidewalks. And I realized that just had this sudden flash of, of realization that within every single one of these individuals was a universe as rich and as colorful as my own. Wow. And the vertigo that this gave me was just mind-blowing. <laughs> the the moment you realized that there was a world that existed outside of your own uh, seat of consciousness. Not only that, but within this outside world are people who are looking into it uh-huh. just like I am. Yeah, I think up until that point, I, I was still toying with the idea that I was the only being in the entire universe and that everything was just a simulacrum of the world. I mean, how could I know? You know, this this is the old solipsistic argument that, you know, uh, I think a lot of people go through in their adolescence. Did you ever have that? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, mystical experiences that can be had that result in this exact awareness and it can be kind of scary um it's very uh, isolating and and a dark lonely place to be i think loneliness is the best way to describe it um at first because when you truly feel like you are the only being in an abyss of darkness and that everyone around you is just a reflection of something inside of you um, then for for that moment when you truly believe that it's just you, that there's nothing else, you truly yearn for it to be otherwise. And if you can imagine what it would be like to be the creator, to be God, to be the one thing, and and have that ultimate awareness that, that that's it, that there's only one, then you can understand the necessity for the creator to create in order to rid itself of that deep sense of metaphysical loneliness. Huh. You know, I never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I think also this feeling of loneliness closely relates to the feeling you have when you're about to have your first lucid dream or, or when you're in this sleep paralysis state because... yeah you really do feel trapped and you feel that there's a there's that looming sensation that that something isn't right and then when you do come out of it you know be it that you actually have an experience that is so meaningful that 
you are just convinced that you aren't alone in the universe. Or conversely, that you have your first out-of-body experience where where you realize that you're not trapped. You truly are limitless. Right, yeah. That's that's when it all makes sense. And it contrasts this yeah. idea of the loneliness and it makes it just that much more interesting and significant and beautiful. Right. Yeah, because then the world becomes even bigger than it was outside of you. Heck um, yeah. You know, once you realize that that you can ascend to the heights of heaven and that there are numberless angels and spirits and and divine presence that that can be communicated with and interacted with and and lessons and teachings that can be learned. I mean, I got to tell you. I mean, you, you know, speak without... about this as if it was a matter of fact. So now you gotta now you gotta tell. <laughs> Did you ever <laughs> well, make an experience that that proved to you, without a shadow of a doubt, that these things were real? Well, I I would have to say, um, really, just as in the interest of sharing and in the interest of inspiring, because. Normally, I I don't usually um, talk about these experiences because, f- as those of you who have had them know, they're very deeply personal and they can be so deeply profound that if you tell people and they just don't believe you, it's almost like it's it's profaning something that is sacred to you. So yeah, it, it takes something away, and it's almost you know like you're casting pearls before swine in a way, you know. Yeah, and but in the interest of sharing, um, please do. There's there's one that I, I'll describe that was, um, I think, one of my first real awakenings to the possibilities and the interaction between the state of the out-of-body experience and its connection to the objective world around uh-huh. us. Um, so what was going on at this time in my life was I was uh, deeply interested in how it was uh, that I could be able to peer out of my microcosm and into the macrocosm. And of course, I was uh, fascinated with the ideas of, of the holy guardian angel and the higher genius. And, and so I, I was deeply inspired to discover ways that, that could be used in order to, to make such a contact with some consciousness outside of yourself. So as I was pondering this, I had a very profound uh, lucid dream. And so this was a dream where I became so lucid and I knew that I was dreaming and I had convinced myself and programmed myself that when that was to occur, I was going to become aware of my physical surroundings Uh and project physically from my body. Wow, that's a really bold plan. (laughs) Right. So it took uh, many months to figure out how to do that. I'm sure Um, (laughs) <laughs> but once it occurred, I had separated from my physical body. I remember clearly looking behind me and, and, and sort of seeing the bed there that I had just uh, exited from. And I you know, floated through my roof. And I remember all the sensations of going through the wood and the insulation and, and even rubbing my hands on the shingles of the house as I was wow. uh, passing up into the sky. And so I knew that I had to elevate it was all about elevation yeah. and flying as high as I could. So I fixated on the moon because it was full that night. No coincidence. And I decided to fly as far up to the moon as I possibly could. So as this, uh, I, as I was focusing on the moon, I could see it sort of dancing around in my focus. And 
soon and the higher i got and it must not have been much more than halfway through the atmosphere of the earth or what would have been the atmosphere of the earth and it started to fade away and as i elevated the elevations became more of an elevation of vibration and energy right and i found myself in um sort of like a great tower scenario right a great castle or or tower uh, reminiscent of uh, you know, many of the mystical experiences uh, of the Merkaba tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I kept rising and flying up in, the, in this tower and, and trying to get to, to the top. And I noticed that as, as I reached the top of this tower, there was no one around. It was empty. Huh. And I was kind of discouraged um, because I thought, here I was. I had uh, left my body. I, I was seeking to meet with you know, some profound uh, uh, teacher and, um, you know, great entities outside of me. And there was nobody. It was just like an empty cave inside my mind almost. Huh. To make a long story less long, <laughs> um, when I reached the top of the tower, I recall seeing a statue there and a statue um, that, that had the head of a man. And I remember just asking sort of to the universe, you know, God, oh God, why is it that I cannot hear your voice? Why is it so silent? Wow. And just then, it was as though the bust of this head was speaking to me, saying, Wow. Lie down. Lie down. And I was like, what? And so I turned around, and behind me was like this this gold box, almost. And um, almost like a coffin without a lid. And so I lie down in this, uh, this golden coffin. Uh-huh. And I was kind of surprised because there was water in it, right? There was water in the coffin. Right. So this was really strange. And at this point, I was like, okay, it's kind of weird. I'm lying in a coffin full of water. And again, I asked, okay, you know, why can't I hear you? And then throughout another part of my mind, I started hearing this chatter. And the chatter was like business talk and technical speak. And I was like, what? This is getting weird. And a hand reached down and handed me an image of... A hammer and a sickle, right? The communist right. symbol. And I and I knew. From that moment, I just snapped right back into my body, and I knew, okay, this was clearly just a dream. I was really discouraged. Well... There's nothing wrong with the, communism. <laughs> it doesn't have to discourage let's not you. Get, <laughs> let's not get into a political debate. <laughs> uh, the absurdity of it all was what was discouraging. And, There's nothing absurd about uh, communism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing but the next day, I found myself in a uh, a lunch meeting with some coworkers, and we were having some discussion that was technical and business oriented. And all of a sudden, it rang in my ear that this sounds a lot like what I heard the night before in my dream. Right. And I was so I became lucid in a waking state. And then, like the next conversation, as if out of nowhere, uh, my coworker was talking to me about these. Sensory deprivation tanks. Have have you seen these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like from the movie Altered States and stuff. Right, you're floating in a in a dark tank in, in water, right? Exactly. Yeah. So he was describing how you know his experience in uh, in L.A. or Dallas or something like that. They had these places you could go, yeah. and they had these sensory deprivation tanks. And he he was talking about all of his experiences of being able to separate his mind from his body while his body was completely deprived of its of its sensations. 
so right then I was in awe, like, oh, well, that's kind of strange. Cause it, it must have been like a real deja vu kind of feeling. Right, especially since the way he described the sensory deprivation tank, it was as though it was a coffin with water in it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I was pretty amazed. But if that wasn't enough, that night I was reading a document that I had received from, let's just say, some of my spiritual mentors. And while I was reading this document, I had the TV on, I was watching the History Channel, and uh, I I wasn't really paying attention to what was on, Um, it was just sort of background. And as I was reading this document, it was referring to a technique whereby you could perceive objective reality and obtain higher knowledge of the universe through a process of sensory deprivation and right at that moment i looked up on the history channel and i saw the hammer and sickle flash on the screen because it was a show about stalin wow and it was at that moment when my jaw dropped and i was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was something to this objective nature of lucid dreaming astral projection and the uh, objective world around us Huh. I'm sure to you, this must have been just a world-changing experience. I mean, I mean, how how could you explain that kind of coincidence? Right. I still don't know how I could possibly explain it to this day in any way other than magnificent. Um, and I know that a lot of our listeners will have had similar experiences, and I really really enjoy hearing about some of those you know some of your own uh, astral projections or, or lucid dreams that just convinced you beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a world uh, outside of of your own consciousness that that you can uh, tap into so um thanks again to you know all of our listeners that sent us emails um, they're really interesting it was great to hear about your experiences I hope some of the stuff we talked about today clarified some things and uh, maybe inspired you a little bit more. So um, feel free to to post on ChasingHermes.com, and we look forward to seeing you in cyberspace soon. Thanks for everybody who wrote in with your material that formed the basis for this podcast, and thank you, Sean, for sharing your experiences. Yeah, thank you, Jason. It's been great. Talk to you later, man. Visit our website at www.chasinghermes.com or send us an email at info at To inquire about the Western mystery tradition, please visit www.western-mysteries.com. Put that on your blog and tweet it. Oh shit, that was genius. Did you just make that up? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. (laughs) That's definitely going in the episode. Oh.